Strange things begin to happen when a group of friends gather for a dinner party on an evening when a comet is passing overhead. We watch the mind-bender Coherence. Sports production. I'm one of your many, many, many hosts, Billy Graves. And before we get kicked off, let me go ahead and introduce my co hosts. You know, I like to kick off these shows with a joke. So without further ado, here is the Memphis Menace, Rick. What's going on, Ricky? Uh, just, you know, here uh, Don't, don't, don't start your shit, Rick. Don't start your shit. All right. We're off and running. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. So how you been this week? Uh, pretty good. Just uh, dreading Monday. Well, that's just in a few hours. What have you bought over the last couple days? Anything worth looking at, reading? Uh, yes, I bought a uh, British magazine called Total uh, Film Magazine. Here and go. it has uh, a whole exclusive story about Halloween Kills and then the legacy of John Carpenter. So it's pretty awesome. It's like a 170-page magazine from England. So 170-page magazine. Doesn't that technically make it a book? Uh, I guess. I mean, yeah. And then I bought a book, uh, too, as well. Um, it's called A Head Full of Ghosts. I can't remember the author's name, but... Say A Head Full of Goats? A Head Full of Ghosts. That's like what I said, goats. Yeah, like with, yeah. with horn. Head Full of Goats. No, ghosts. G- ghosts. Okay, that's yeah, that, that makes more sense. That makes much more the sense. The Headless Goatman. Shh, you haven't been introduced yet. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. I've heard really, really good things about it. So. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to you also reading it, James. I mean, uh, Rick, fuck. Okay, well, I was worried <laughs> I wouldn't make it through tonight's episode. Um, hell, I was worried he wasn't going to make it tonight. But due to a hole in the prosecution's case, here is the godfather of droll, James. What's going on, JB? Not much. Sitting here wondering about the headless goatman. <laughs> Riveting commentary. What have you been doing all week, James? <laughs> I haven't seen you in a coon's age. Well, I ain't done a whole lot. It ain't much, but it's honest work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you love her for her warm personality, and if you look up the word warm, it means not so hot. She's final girl, Casey. Hi, Billy. Greetings. How's your week been? Mm, would have been better if Florida beat Alabama. You know what? <laughs> Okay, full disclosure. I saw your tweet on the Twitter machine. My tweet that said, I fucking hate Alabama. I fucking hate Alabama. And for whatever reason, my mind went straight to politics. And I thought, God, they've passed a law against the gays. (laughs) (laughs) 
what have they done now? Like, what has Alabama done now? And then I thought, wait a minute. No. This is one of those weird things that it doesn't seem like Casey would be into that she is into. You are into the college sports ball. That's true. I like football. Man, just to get it all out there, we may as well just, you know, because we we do have a crossover of listeners here. We have a lot of sports fans who listen to the show, and we're appreciative of it. it. And, uh, of course, you know, I had some fans in the the horror genre listen to the baseball podcast. But let's go ahead and get, get this out in the open. It's NFL season. I need to know who your favorite teams are. Casey, start with you. The Packers. And okay, Rick, your turn. (laughs) Uh, I'm just kidding, Rick. Hang on. Let's get this out of Casey real quick. Who did you say? The Packers, and I think we're going to have a hard time this year. Yeah, well, yeah, defense is looking a little bit rough. We're not going to get into the weeds or anything on on the stats, but uh, we do have a few people who thankfully listen to the show who are from Wisconsin because they're Brewers fans who just clinched the playoffs. Um, <laughs> good for so, them. Yeah. Yeah, g- great for them, right? First year yeah. with Nashville, so happy. Or first year back with Nashville. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Pickle Rick, who, who is yours? Who is your favorite NFL team? Because I don't want to hear any shit at the end of the year. Well, oh, that's my team. They just won the Super Bowl. Uh, it's been the day where it used to be Houston Oilers, Tennessee Oilers, now the Tennessee Titans since they – since we became a team in Tennessee. James, uh, Rick, they've been the Tennessee Titans for like 10 decades now. Nobody even remembers that they were the Oilers. You don't have hey, to I, preface I, it, hey, it's no, this expansion team. It's an I expansion team Oilers called games. the Titans. I went to Oilers game in 97, and it was at Vanderbilt Stadium, and Jerome Bettis was still playing. Thank you very much. So, needless to say, you went to see a Steelers game, or was it a Rams game? It was the Titans, the Oilers, the Tennessee Oilers. Yes, but Jerome Bettis didn't play for the Titans. I said it was against the Steelers. Oh, did you say that? Yes. I didn't hear you say that. I heard that it was at Vanderbilt Stadium, which I also went to a game at Vanderbilt Stadium as the Tennessee Oilers. I didn't go as the Oilers. I went as Billy. They were still the Tennessee Oilers for that season. They had old Air McNair and Eddie George, but they were the Tennessee Oilers. Yeah, R.I.P. Um, But they played the Chicago Bears, and I think the Bears won by a field. But on to you, Jables. Who's your favorite NFL team? You know who my team is, Bill. I do. I don't even want the you to Tampa say it. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And I can attest that uh, James has been a... What, what are you doing? Shaking your Centrum silver bottle? <laughs> Probably. <sighs> I can attest that James has been a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan for a very long time. Um, for the years that you know the, the the Washington Redskins would beat them, or they would beat the Redskins. Hmm, whatever. Um, yeah. James and I would have a fun time watching games. And, of course, I'm a Washington football t- football team fan. So, at the end of the season, nobody's going to call me a bandwagon. Not going to allow it. But, guys, we got a crazy movie to cover. Like, I don't, I don't really know if you can consider it horror, per se, because it's not, you know, all slashy and stabby. But It's suspense, though. Uh, very suspenseful. And I, I dare say that if we are in this situation, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, I would cry. I would cry because you don't know how to get out of this one. Like most movies we watch, oh, I just killed a monster and I'm and I'm home free. Oh, I just killed a you know the, the people trying to break into my home and I'm home free. And this one, you don't know what you're what you're up against, and it just keeps getting more and more fucked up by the minute at a certain point. So Rick, won't you be a dear and give us the rundown of this week's film? All right, uh, we did a film called Coherence. <clears throat> uh, it came out on September nineteenth, two thousand thirteen. 
at some film festival in Austin, Texas, and it was released what? in the U.S. What's today's uh, date, Ricky? Uh, shit, that's a look. Uh, September 19th. Hey, that means we're on the anniversary, are we not? That we are. Uh, Nailed and it. Then June, June 20th in the U.S. nationwide, it's 88 minutes, hour and 29 minutes, so pretty short, uh, pretty short movie. Um, it's was filmed at the director James Beyer Kit, Beer Kit house over a week, seven days. His own um, home. It is in English. Its budget was fifty grand. It only grossed one hundred two thousand six hundred seventeen dollars. Uh, I wouldn't really consider it a horror. It'd be more sci-fi, psychological thriller ish. Um, honestly, a lot of the actors and actresses are really unknown. Uh, the only one is gosh, what was her name? I just had it. Um, Lorraine Scafaria did a lot of like directing stuff. Yeah, there was somebody that was in, like, of that. some vampire movie, I thought, or something. But I could be wrong. Buffy the Vamp- somebody was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, uh, that was Nicholas Brendan. Um, what was his name in the movie? Hold on. Uh, Mike, Mike, I think. Yeah, Mike. it was Mike. Yeah, he was Xander and Buffy. Uh, yeah, but there was a lot of unknown people. Emily Foxer was M. Mari Sterling's Kevin. Nicholas Brendan, that we said is Mike. Uh, Lorraine Gaffaria is we. Hugo Armstrong was Hugh. Elizabeth Grayson is Beth. Alex Man- Managin is Amir. Lauren Mahar is Lori. And yeah, it's pretty much it. So there you go. Well, something I didn't know that I noted while I was looking at this stuff was I watched Buffy growing up, but what I didn't know is that there is a sequence that we'll get into later where there's uh, two people, like two people as one person. And I didn't know that Nicholas Brendan has a twin and that played his double. I thought that was so neat. Pretty convenient. It is convenient. (laughs) Pretty convenient. Well, you know, before we get into the mental gymnastics that it's going to take to figure it, you know, figure this one out, what say you about another round of Crack the Case? Let's do it. Yes. (laughs) Well, I know we used to compete for the ability to choose the next film for Slashers and Screamers, but now it's for something much more prestigious. Self-value. Bragging rights. Bragging rights. Who needs anything else? I don't. So, the rules of Crack the Case are as follows. It's kind of like headbands. I'm going to read a case to our investigators, who are your panel of hosts, sans me. And that panel is going to ask me, as the moderator, questions that must have the following answers. Or can only have the following answers. Yes, no, yes and no, irrelevant, I don't know, define what you mean by, and rephrase your question. So, what do you say we go ahead and read this case off? Let's go. The name of today's case is Greetings, Adios. Suddenly and without warning, hundreds of people over a multi-state area are dead from cyanide poisoning. Many of the many of the deaths occur simultaneously. After much investigation, the case is solved by a deputy sheriff in central Alabama who arrests a local female clerical worker for the mass murder. What did the victims have in common? Who killed them? How? And why? Tough one. I'm going to open the questioning with my man, White Boy Rick. Okay. Um, was the the lady that... Hold on. Now let me reset that. Did the poisoning have something to do with any type of food? No. James, you're up next. Never fear, Bill. I got ants in my pants and the dryers went out and everything else. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> what do you want? Questions? 
Oh, I need questions. I need answers. Read that to me again, Bill. The whole thing? Yeah. Okay. Suddenly and without warning, hundreds of people over a multi-state area... <laughs> so what I think about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, reading the case. Fun. Yeah, I ain't never had too much fun, James. Okay, go ahead and swallow right, those Tide Pods. You ready? <laughs> Somebody died and I gotta solve the case. That's right. I'm gonna read you the case right now. Suddenly and without warning, hundreds of people over a multi-state area are dead from cyanide poisoning. Many of the deaths occur simultaneously. After much investigation, the case is solved by a deputy sheriff in central Alabama who arrests a local female clerical worker for the mass murder mass murders. What did the victims have in common? Who killed them? How and why? Did they all drink out of the same water bucket, Bill? No. Casey? Did it have to do with their mail? Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. (laughs) It is interesting. Rick? I thought so. Uh, Did the victims know? Very interesting. Did the victims know each other? Yes. James? Uh, hmm. Was there... Where did that clerical worker work at? At the bank. I, I can't answer that question, James. Rephrase your question. Did, <laughs> did the clerical worker work at the post office? I don't know. Well, you don't know. <laughs> it means that it doesn't specify where this person worked in the story. Okay. <laughs> what else does I don't know mean, James? Casey, your question. Um, I'm trying to think of something because I don't. I know I can't solve, and I'm not trying to necessarily solve it yet, but I feel like I'm going to ask a question that's going to push it off pretty quickly, and I don't want to necessarily do that. Well, do remember, guys, that there are four parts of this question, so if you give me the how... that's true. Yeah, so what do the victims have in common? Who killed them? How and why? Did they all lick envelopes that were poisoned? They did. Okay, cool, cool. So that's one thing down. That's all. Ricky, Ricky, back to you. I am uh, so confused right now. I don't think it could be any more straightforward. <laughs> At least what we know. Did the clerical worker... No, let me rephrase that. Did the clerical worker, clerical person work in the same place where the poisoning happened? Did the clerical worker work in the same place? Let me... Where she worked was it in the same state or wherever it happened. It's multiple states. Oh, it's multiple. Okay, anyway. All right, never mind. So what's your question, Rick? I haven't answered any yet. <laughs> um, I've been sitting here. I don't know. Skip. I don't know, dude. Don't skip, Rick. Don't. Listen, <clears throat> do not relinquish the game to these two assholes. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're on the right track. For all the employees sent a letter. Yes. Oh, no. James. You said yes. No, I wait. Hold on. So it, it was the same question, yours, well, basically. No, no, I had a. Okay, I'll hold off. Jables. Oh, God. What are we trying to figure out again? What did the victims have in common? Who killed them? How and why? But Casey's we know already. How. Yeah, Casey's already uh, figured out the how. 
Well, what they had in common was they all licked the same stamp. <laughs> Fair. Sure is. We're not the same stamp, but the same, same, ba- same batch of envelopes, yes. So now we need to know, mm. what did the victims have in Oh, no. What did the victims have in common? You got it. How? You got it. Who killed them and why? The receptionist killed them. I know why, Bill. Tell me. It was a pissed off bride, and they were all going to that wedding. I don't know why they looked at those envelopes, but... Guys, remind me to never, ever accept any (laughs) invitations from James to a wedding. Bill. Just saying. (laughs) I'm going to provide my own envelope for your RSVP. (laughs) <laughs> you gotta look it. <laughs> Why is mine blue and everybody else's is white? <laughs> so I wouldn't mix them up, Bill. <laughs> Licking like Why this. Look like, look, look, look. Huh? <laughs> we look like CM Punk for Bill. Look like you're about to drop a pipe bomb on me. I might. I might have to. All right. So what do we need to know right now? We need to know... Where's all the clues at? Uh, I think it's after this this round, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think I've smelled too much ant spray, but oh, my mind is not a steel trap tonight. It's like <laughs> an old dull <laughs> spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen a sharp spoon, James. Never in my life. <laughs> Bill, have you ever had your life threatened by a spoon? <laughs> no. Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, I have not. <laughs> so what did the victims have in common? They licked the same envelopes. Who killed them? The clerk. How? By sending them uh, cyanide-laced envelopes. But why? Oh, why, James? Let's figure that part out. Is there a clue? After this round, fucklebuck. Oh. <laughs> why does she do that, Bill? Oh, try to pull the old old Cincinnati shuffle on me, huh? I got to know why she wanted to do something like that. Well, then we'll go to Casey and let her ask the question. Casey, use your question. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, Felt real good about that cyanide thing. This is the part that I don't really have good guidance on, I feel. Um, Did... I just want to clarify from earlier because Rick said the people who worked together all got the poison envelopes. So the way they all knew each other is that they were co-workers? No, they are not co-workers. Well, you didn't say that to Rick when he said that. What did he ask me? He asked the same shit I did but said they were co-workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't say shit. Well, hang on. No, we're, we're, we're mixed up on something because I never said that they were co-workers. That's why I was, I was, I was asked. Did, I, I was asked, did they know each other? And, well, he might have referred to them as co-workers, but his question did not specify whether they were not co-workers. You asked if they knew each other, and I said yes. And he asked me a question about something, but it wasn't if they're co-workers. Well, he said the co-workers all like the same envelope, and you didn't say, no, they're not co-workers. Yes I, and no. Okay, well, I said... First of all, that's not even a prominent part of the issue here. Well, I'm trying to figure out why she would kill this group of people and what they have in common beyond that. So that was why I asked. You understand. I do. I do understand. They're not co-workers, but they did all lick envelopes. So now we get a clue. Okay. All of the victims were members of a group. Sick. Not the co-worker group. Not the, yeah, we're not a co-worker group. Ricky, we need to know the why. We're 
all these people going to get fired from their job or something? No. Remember, these people are all in different states. This is a nationwide situ- situation. I don't know. JB? What was the clue, Bill? All the victims were members of the same group. The same group? <clears throat> what kind of group? Is that your question? A rock and roll band? No. I meant. Casey, How your many question. People were oh, whoa, hang on. <laughs> Fuckface, fuck you said a rock and roll group? No, <laughs> they are not part of a rock and roll group. Casey, your question. Um, was the group. <laughs> was the group of people that she killed competitive to her interests? Like something that she disbel- didn't believe in or disagreed with? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Back back around to you, Rick. You can ask a question and now solve. Was she seeking revenge on all these people? Yes. I don't know. She was seeking revenge, and this is where I'm a little hazy on whether I can I can give that to Rick because there's a specific backstory here. But we basically have it all. I mean, what did the victims have in common? They all looked the same envelopes. Who killed them? Uh, the clerk. How with the cyanide laced envelopes? And why? To get revenge. Revenge for what, Bill? Revenge for what? Well, it's the why, though. In the backstory. You know what? Fuck it. Yeah, I'm giving it to Rick. Investigators must discover that the murderer was a disgruntled member of a televangelist church who worked at their headquarters. She sent out invitations to church members and dusted the gummed, ooh, gummed edge of the RSVP return envelopes with cyanide. Rick, you're a goddamn regular Columbo. And I applaud you. Well, How would we have figured that out? By asking questions. What did they do to her, though? They the jilted her. Place. They jilted her, is what they jilted did. Jilted is such a good word. They put her in the Iron Maiden. Oh. <laughs> Iron Maiden? Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Rick. That was so painful. I'm so very happy that you solve that i don't think it was that painful we kind of rolled along yeah we were getting close yeah well i'm sweating my balls off right now in my bedroom i mean sweating should you turn a fan on the fan comes on periodically okay that's what a thermostat does okay why are you sweating so bad i don't know (laughs) because like i'm i'm nervous around you guys you guys give me butterflies you're so intimidating oh okay i'm gonna go that direction (laughs) all right guys listen (laughs) We come. We watched the movie Coherence. I know it is a pretty unknown movie for the most part. Like Rick said, it, it cost fifty grand to make. It only made about a hundred grand. Largely unknown cast. And but I mean, fully understand that this flick is not one that you can be distracted while watching. Like there's a lot of subtle movement, some very unnoticeable changes, and, and it might require a rewatch. Uh, it's it's a slow burn. But I felt like it was a good change to what we've done thus far on the show. Would you agree? Bill, I fell asleep during this movie at I least figured you would. five times. I figured you would. And, and, and that's no, no. joke. I, I definitely figured you would. I it is a no very slow one. What's going on? Well, that's the thing. I had to watch a couple of times. There were things I realized the first time, man, I was too distracted. There was baseball on. I had a casserole in the oven. I don't know what it was, but what kind was, of casserole? <clears throat> Frito. Frito casserole. I'm gonna blame this movie for my spoon dullard <laughs> mind this tonight. This night. <laughs> Not the ant spray. 
Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> shit it probably wasn't the ant spray. It probably was the ant spray. That's good stuff, Bill. James, it's this all is natural. A... Got peppermint in it. That means naked. Naked ant spray. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say naked. it's got peppermint in it? Yeah. Were you spraying the back of your throat with it like a fucking chloroseptic? <laughs> no. <laughs> I got a sore throat. Let me get this. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, relying on a low budget of 50K... This movie was shot over five nights in a single location with dialogue that was largely improvised. Okay, the improv I think I could element, have made a better movie than this. I doubt you could have, James. We've tried. We've and tried. five nights. We've tried, and you, you, you definitely cannot. Like, I remember when you plagiarized uh, <laughs> Maximum Overdrive in fourth grade and fucking got away you with plagiarized it. Maximum Overdrive? Wow. Of all the movies to plagiarize, why would you do that? <laughs> because it was hot at the time. And listen, I remember. Uh, that's a damn good movie. It's a great that movie. It's a very I, fun movie. I remember one line from this book because, you know, you had to read it. Um, you know, one of your classmates has had to read it. And I remember the line from my movie that really told on him was, and then the Coke machine went haywire. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh god i'll never forget it james i want to go back and find that so book. If, if nobody else saw that movie they thought that i was a very disturbed third grader or whatever it was fourth it was pretty close um our fourth grade teacher was kind of giving us more I guess grown-up task to do. So we were going to all write fictional books, little short stories. She was going to have them <laughs> bound and everything. And she was, you know, one of our best, you know, teachers. Um, very innovative, very uh, musical lady. But that day, I'll never forget it because Maximum Overdrive was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And today, Stephen King was—I mean, the fucking shit. He was like at, at you know, the the peak of his. I, I guess his writing, like so much had already come out. Uh, I think it might have been one of those uh, TV movies that was out around that time, uh, or at least it you know came out shortly after that. When I read James's little version of Maximum Overdrive, and I don't know what, <laughs> do you remember what you might have called that book, James? Instead of Maximum <laughs> Overdrive, maximum, maximum Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know, man. I feel like it would be like I don't know, Minimum Two Wheel Drive. <laughs> I don't know. The but, Red uh, Comet. <laughs> the, it might have been the Red Comet. <laughs> God. Okay. Well, you know what? The improv element of this film really intrigued me, and that's why I picked it. It felt natural. Not that many movies aren't well acted, but this this group of actors specializes in improvisation. And watching that knowing kind of adds a slight twist to our viewing. I mean, d did you think about this movie at all differently, knowing that it was largely improvised? So... I watched this movie and not even getting into the plot or the depth of the film, like just within the couple first scenes, I was like, damn, these people are super natural together. Not supernatural, very natural together. Yeah, like it, it seemed like they all knew each other. It. Yeah, I know. But along with like the very natural discourse that they had, it was so cool because later I was reading about it and it said you know, that it was largely um, improvisational, but also that these were, like, personal friends of the director, James Ward Birkett? Birkett? 
Um, but he knew these people and basically just like asked them to come over and can you do this movie for me? Like I've got a project that I'm putting together and I think you guys are going to have a good time. So they didn't all know each other, but they all knew him. And he said that they acted really well together and that for the improv, they would basically get directions like a little envelope with their motives and they had to like act on those motives and it reminded me a lot of the way that the Blair Witch Project was shot because they had the same kind of thing where they were preemptively given motives to follow yes and I love that kind of thing yeah so here's your overall goal get there however you want to get there and that's how it's going to be recorded yeah. Well, uh, a little note from IMDb. The actor who plays Amir, Alex Manoujian, is the co-writer. He's uh, he's essentially the mole who helped guide scenes if the actors went astray. Instead of scripts, the actors would each receive, like you said, Casey, uh, only a small paragraph that they would see, only they would see, as their goals for the day. They allowed the story to unfold naturally and create genuine reactions in the other uh, in the other actors. So, going back on what you said, very natural. Um, because I think a lot of the, the actors in this film are going to speak the way they would in real life, not so much, or at least a little bit closer than uh, a hard script that they have to follow. I dig it. But, uh, you know, the oddities of this film revolve around a passing comet, much like Maximum Overdrive, James, uh, which they cover this in the first scene where we're meeting the characters and, like, already I'm kind of getting, like, your next vibes. But we also yeah. know that, right? Am I right? So we also know that, you know, comets history, you know, historically have you know, caused tons of issues, namely in machines, as evident, maximum overdrive. So we're getting the, you know, the best of a couple of different worlds here. Now, the difference I found between coherence and your next immediately um, was that there's no one in this crew who's unlikable. Maybe later, um, maybe not. But, I mean, you got the guy who was supposedly the actor on Roswell who's kind of jokingly prodding the girl who was not a Spanish yoga instructor. But he's doing so in a way that you think, like, okay, this is the guy that we're going to hate. But, no, it's just a regular friendly jabbing, not unlike, you know, what we do here. Can you imagine if we were all in a room given motivation and we had to be a movie? That shit would be unwatchable. I can tell you right now I thought about that a hundred times watching this film. <laughs> We'd probably get a freaking raspberry. Aw, that would be fun. Well, I'd be proud of us. Says who? You wouldn't be proud of us? What What did, what did Rick just say? I said we'd, we'd probably get, get nominated for a raspberry. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah. No, it's a yeah. razzy. Well, it's short for the golden Not a raspberry. It's a razzy award. Same yeah, thing. But... Same thing. Yeah, the Razzie is short for... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I don't think we that we would. I, I think, uh, you know, this movie made how much, Rick? A hundred and what? hundred, like, hundred, barely over a hundred, a hundred thousand at that. Well, we'd have gotten two hundred grand. That's what we'd have gotten, okay? There's a couple of people that I do take exception to in this film, but they weren't immediately hateable, you know? But, uh, you know, the, the background's still developing as, well, while the dinner conversation continues to unfold, they notice there's no internet. But it's done in such a way that, like, it doesn't feel alarming to anyone. They're almost kind of mentioning it as a side note while, uh, what's his name? Uh, Beardy. Um, Beardy. Uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Hugo? Hugh. 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 Hugo's his, Hugo Armstrong's character, Hugh. Beardy. He's talking about his brother. Uh, I feel like sometimes we get too much worry or too early in the movie. 
um, in some of these strange happening movies. Like, you know, someone will be watching the news and see something weird instead of going, huh, well, that's the news for you. You'll get a shot of a lead character with a shot zooming in on their worried face. Like, seven, 17 minutes into this flick, you think this is a good pace? Jane it's apparently little, fell asleep. It's a little slow, but I think in the meantime, like, we get to watch these really natural interactions, which, like, when I watch a movie, I really appreciate the dialogue, which is something that I've always been a fan of Quentin Tarantino for, is, like, a well-written movie. And this not even being written makes it all the more impressive because the dialogue is so natural. And this is what you're thinking while you're watching. This isn't an afterthought. Yeah, I wasn't bored. Like, in the moment, I was like, damn, this is, like, really well acted. And knowing afterwards that it was improvised is even more impressive. Rick, what say you? Uh, I mean, I thought it was pretty slow at the beginning, but now knowing that it was improvised, that's that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty awesome that they could do that. I mean, I didn't, I thought it was a script. I didn't, I would have no idea. Oh, yeah. Uh, Definitely brought a lot of more, you know, realism to the film knowing that now rather than you know me going into it thinking oh this is they're just reading off the script like normal and now that i know i'm like okay that's they i mean i i couldn't do that i mean james at this point of the movie how many times have you fallen asleep <laughs> at least twice bill <laughs> that i know of <laughs> that you know of okay you got those little micro naps you don't get to count those so i believe that james is one of those who it doesn't take long if there's not a werewolf, he he can go anytime. No werewolf in this movie. Yeah, none. So I kept I, looking for a werewolf because of the full moon. Well, it was a comet. Was, I don't no. think we ever saw the moon. That, no. That's why you. That's why you never saw one. Duped again. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> this movie really sucks. Listen, it's not long after this that the power suddenly goes out. And I don't know about you, but this is when the movie really grabbed my attention. Like, this wouldn't normally be a big deal because power goes out all the time. Well, not James's power. He's got those football kids he coaches in the youth football league out back shoveling coal. So he's not losing anything. But the odd thing here, there's one single home about two blocks down the road that appears to not have lost power. And, like, while the rest of the you know entire street Maybe even the neighborhood is down. We know now that this is important, but at this point, they're just thinking about you know going to see if they have a landline or something. At this point, is your interest peaked? My interest is nervous. I would never like. I know reading books as a kid, people would like go to people's house for a cup of sugar or like some eggs or something. I would rather die than go knock on my neighbor's door. I would rather you die than knock on mine. <laughs> That's fair. I would never do that to you. <laughs> Thank you so. Anytime. You're not getting any of my eggs. You're not getting any of my sugar. Okay. You're not getting a one goddamn cup of flour out of my cupboard. I don't even I'd have be a at your house for Frito casserole, apparently. <laughs> Listen, I, a lot of people call that something different. I think we called it Frito casserole in elementary school, and that's what I always called it. Pretty sure some people call it chili pie. Some people Frito pie. Um, Rick, what do you call it? You're from Memphis. Y'all probably made some shit up. Uh, I just, I mean, I would call it just. Frito pie growing up, yeah. You lying son of a bitch. You're just going with the flow. You've never had Frito casserole. I don't think I have. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't think that you ever ate it in like elementary school? It's like basically chili on the bottom. I mean, mean, yeah, we called it like a a fucking, what was it, a taco salad. Oh, that's a whole different thing. Shit, I don't know. Did you know in elementary school, quick story, we called this janitor and his name was Wolfman. I like him already. No, it's his nickname. Is it because he looked like Benicio Del Toro? 
I don't know, dude, but we always call him Wolfman. It was pretty funny. Anyway, back to the subject. And he just answered to it? Did he look like the Wolfman? I don't know. What if he didn't? Was he Wolfman Jack on the radio? Listen, I think by the time Rick was in elementary school, Wolfman Jack was dead. (laughs) Oh, it's a Wolfman Jack. (laughs) Well, listen, overhead, while outside. I got a big thing of Frito Pie. (laughs) (laughs) The crew sees the comet overhead. Very cool shot that the filmmakers never reveal how it was shot other than to say that it was just a practical effect but beardy makes mention that he was told and this is where i was confused but he was told by his brother that if anything strange happens during a comet passing by they should just stay inside but beardy can't do that he's going to go check the house with the lights on to see what's up and we all know rule number one don't split up but he's got a mirror with him though so things should be fine right is this the time that they allegedly don't split up, but they say we're not splitting up, we're just separating? Or was yeah. that the one later? I, I don't know, but I remember that. Yeah, and I kind of like, okay, if you're going to go out of your way to say we're not doing this, but we're doing this, which is the same thing, a synonym of that word, then I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, what do they mean? And the only thing I could really assume was, yeah, we're not going to send any individuals off from the know from the crowd from the crew we're gonna go in clusters or groups so i guess two would be a cluster if you're talking about like eight people i don't know but i it doesn't excuse the poorly uh i guess the the poorly used explanation of what they are and aren't doing a cluster is at least three bill any goo goo cluster i've ever ate it's been three clusters of pecans (laughs) that's the definition you know what i just took away from this the fact that you said pecans and not pecans I'm so proud of you. I've never been more proud of you, James. Pecans you is how you pecans? say it. I say pecans and always have and always will. How do you say it? Uh, it's pecan. It's pecan. It's a pecan is a can of fucking pea. A pecan. It's pecan. I can put up another poll. By the way, the results of last week's poll is that more people shower at night. Yeah, yeah Rick. That wasn't based on scientific data. Uh, I'm pretty interview. sure polls are science. Yeah. Yeah, but probably like... Poll. Is an applied science about pecans. Yeah, pecans. Yeah, pecans. Let's find out. Yeah, we need to know. Pecan, (laughs) pecans. Hell, Bill, you probably say tomato. There's only one way to say tomato. Eating their pecans, (laughs) showering in the morning. I I eat my pecans when I shower at six a.m. I soak my pecans at 6 a.m. the same time I take my shower. (laughs) I like to soak my pecans in the bathtub while I'm bathing. I mean, y'all say pecan. What the fuck? Well, what do you call those cookies? They're they're not pecan sandies. They're pecan sandies. Pecan sandies. Pecan sandies. They're pecans. You pulled us up on the final girl Casey Twitter. Both of you with your stupid faces. Sourdough cookie bill. It's pronounced sourdog. <laughs> That's underrated cookie bill, a pecan sandy. It is. It's underrated how you say it, too. But what I didn't like was how Beardy's significant other was so adamant about his going to the neighbor's house was crazy or insane. Like, why? 
that's exactly what someone would do. It's not abnormal. It's too early in the day to be worrying about this. Like, nothing crazy has happened other than a power outage minus one one house. I felt like this was selling the fact that this is a real ordeal but way too early. Who from our group would be the first one to want to stray from the group? James, tell me I'm not, wrong. Not me. I, I will not tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> Why's it got to be me? Because that's some <laughs> shit you would do. You'd be like, let's go figure it out. I'm going to go hunt them down. Why, why are you changing your accent when you speak like James? <laughs> I was, I was James. <laughs> Rick, Rick, you're from Tennessee, also. You don't. You don't sound. You don't sound like Jerry Seinfeld. I don't, because people from people from Memphis don't sound like country like this. You don't sound like Larry the Cable Guy, but definitely like a Bill Ingvall type. Yeah, what? people. People have asked me if I'm from like the Midwest or like Iowa all the time, and I'm like, no. And they're like, where are you from? I'm like, Tennessee. And they're like, you don't sound like it. And I'm like, are we supposed to sound all country? Well, yeah. I uh, feel like most to... people at least have a little bit. Yeah. You don't, Casey, at all. All right, cool. Okay, l- let Casey go up to Wisconsin and. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be like, hey, Casey, where have you been? Oh, I've been down to Tennessee. Yeah, I can tell. You never know, man. I was in San Diego for how long, James? Four years? And Probably. Yeah, m- maybe a little less. Um, I come back home to Tennessee, and one guy that we went to school with, his name is Wes, he says, hey, where have you been? I said, San Diego. He's like, yeah, I can tell. Like, I lost some of my hillbilly DNA. <laughs> you didn't lose it. You just lent it out. Bill, <laughs> I went to Indiana for a little while. I come back to the same person. Yeah, but it did a number on you, these, James. These colors don't run, Bill. Yeah, I told that teacher lady, all only colors I need are the red, white, and blue. <laughs> well, listen, you know what? Luckily, there's a comet expert at the dinner party giving some history on comet-caused events uh, with I a couple of people. About me. Oh no, definitely not you. About them comments, Bill. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) there's a comment (laughs) in the sky. (laughs) But her story had something about some people dying in Siberia, and I ask myself: if we're at a dinner party and we're faced with a strange happening such as this, what skills or strengths do you possess that keeps us alive? Casey, sarcasm goes a long way. I was about to say my winning personality. Yes, Rick, you're like uh, four foot eleven, so you could fit into things. That we need to be like sneaking into, like you know, air vents or something. This is true. Being skinny has uh, been influential throughout my life so far. Yes, absolutely, James. You're the muscle. Like you get down to that three point stance. Bill, I can skin a buck and run a trout line, and a country boy can survive. Pretty sure it's trout line. Yeah, I, I think you. Uh... That's what I said, Bill. Is that what you said? Okay, okay, yeah. Remember I that catch, time we went catch catfish all day long too. From dusk till dawn, maybe? From dusk till dawn, Bill. You're a hell of a man, James. You are a mass of humanity. I'm glad you're on my side. In the next scene, where... Uh, I be- caught, no comments, dinner party, neither. <laughs> Beardy and Amir come back into the house. Like, this is where business picks up, I think. Uh, you know, Beardy's got a wound on his head, and he's being all coy. But the wound on his head is, he, it's not even the weird part. Like, Amir's brought some kind of lockbox with him, which Beardy's perplexed and angry about Amir bringing the box. I don't know, like, what that, what's up with that? But Amir says he saw Beardy put the box down, but Beardy says he's never seen that box. Now, unpacking that, there's a million questions to be asked, right? 
we're out there. Right. You, I saw him pick this up, and then he put it down, so I grabbed it and brought it. And I say, I never picked that up. Then who the fuck did you see pick it up? Right. Shit gets weirder and weirder by the scene. Shit's wild. Like, the box is like one of those time capsules that, you, you know, you bury when you graduate high school. You got some random items, some pictures of the party guests. Uh, Emily Baldoni, or M, Emily, call her M, she said that she didn't know that she was the lead of this film until the time that it's shown that she figures out what the numbers mean. That's a little bit later. What? But she had no idea that she was even the lead to this film. That's how natural and improv this thing was going to be. Love That's it. Crazy. Yeah. But you know who's getting on my nerves? That fucking Beardy. The Beardy Pe- dude. Yeah. People are asking him questions. He's turning he his didn't back. He not say nothing. And they're like, no. hey, you need to tell us. And he didn't say it. He's like, oh, my little wound on my face. I'm like, dude. Why'd you change is your accent when you talk about him? Beardy? His name is Beardy. Or it's is in the, the, the credits. A made up name. Oh. What do you think, James? Yeah, but that, but that pissed me off because they want to know what he well, saw. He doesn't want to tell. I don't really know, Bill. Well, you know what? Listen, you come in, you got what a wound on your you head. Speak of? There are people asking you questions, and you're just giving the dramatic silent treatment. I wanted to punch him in his beardy face. But when but he when... reveals what he saw, which, uh-huh. spoiler is basically the same house with the same setup of candles and a table set for eight people and eight people. Well, I think he said he saw seven. He didn't see one of them. Um, I would be scared to tell you all that because y'all would think I was crazy. Except the fact that Amir was with him. But Amir, I don't think Amir saw it, did he? Nobody was asking Amir what they saw. No, but Amir can, uh, can attest to, I guess, the sanity of, of Hugh. Like, nothing happened. He didn't trip out while we were gone. You know, like, this is some real mindfuckery. Like, the crew is asking what he saw. He finally spills the beans. He he says what you just said. And not only that, but, like, that sound that we heard before, um, like, some kind of banging, they're asking him if he came and fucked with the side door, right? Like, if he knocked on it or something. To which Amir says, no, he went to the side door at the other house. This thing got my gears turning in my head, like, big time. Yes. It is such a puzzle to try to put together, and at this point, you've only got, like, a table full of pieces and nowhere to put them. Okay, one thing I don't understand is the the fading out in the parts where it would it wouldn't really fade out, but it would just cut to another scene. There'd be a delay. Is that done intentional, or was that just the director wanted to do that? Either that, that or they of, ran out of tape. Annoying. Okay, it was yeah. kind of annoying. Well, it was random, like, random times, right? It f- felt like right. almost the scene wasn't really over. There was no right. dissolve into another scene. It was just an abrupt cut, and then now we're talking about, you know, Siberia. But I, that happens multiple times. And um, I did read something about that on IMDb, and I want to say it was something along the lines of wanting it to be, um, I guess, I don't want to say random, but maybe, well, maybe random is the right word. Like, unexpected, I guess. Mm-hmm. Keeps you on edge. Like, you don't have yeah. time to, like, you know, temper down a little bit. You... It cuts, you're at a height maybe. But you know, the big question I have now, at this point anyway, is the note. It's not really a question, it's just like, god damn, what's going on? Like, Beardy says he's going to go back to the house and leave a note as he's writing it. Like, someone sees another man outside. Obviously unable to make out who he is, but when they open the door, he's already gone, but he's left a note that reads exactly like Beardy's note. I'm completely invested in this now. Like, I've got to know. Uh, and, and it, the, the notes both read 
identically. I don't mean to freak you guys out, but we just wanted to borrow your phone for five minutes. Something like that. Exactly the thing Beardy and company were, were about to ask of the neighbors who had light. And keep in mind, there's light this, at this house now, too. Like, they, you know, they fired up the generator. So if you're really thinking that letter's there, they've got light. Well, the other people have their letter. They've got light. Or at least that's when they, you know, they went down to see what was going on. Man, this is, this movie has got my head in so many knots. And, like, as they're all going through the pictures they found in the box... Like, Amir notes that the picture was taken, like, that night because his shirt was new. And Amir's pick is taken right in front of a piece of home decor that's in that dining room. And Annie notes that the number on the back of her pick is her handwriting. So of all the things that are just looking crazy and fucked up at this point, where are you mentally at this point in the movie? Mind blown. Uh, yeah, I was mind blown and, like, confused. Freaking out a little bit. I'm pretty sure I was asleep because I don't remember any of this. <laughs> James, the only thing I can tell you to do is rewatch this movie and start at 17 minutes in. You start at that 17 minute point when they're outside with their glow sticks looking up at the comet. They had glow you... sticks? No, James, they did not have glow sticks. I want that to be a surprise uh, for you. Man, they uh, had glow sticks. They had fucking glow sticks like they are going to a Darude concert. Two different color glow sticks. somebody had a different color glow stick. Hey. Now, you're, now you're talking, James. Or way to wake up. Yeah, now way to wake up. Well, you know, the, the group decided that they're not going to split up. They're going to break into groups, which, you know, I guess is the next best thing. So the departing group goes down the street, glow sticks in hand, and Mike, who's the actor from Roswell, who you know, keeps saying to himself, this is my house. This is my house. Like, was he really tra- in Roswell or was that just Adler? He was no. not in Roswell. He was in Buffy, but I think it's supposed to be a joke play that he was on like a sitcom a long time. Not a sitcom, Lord. Um, just like a teen mo- teen show a long time ago. Okay. Now, what is Roswell? Roswell's the um, the UFO show, right? I didn't watch Roswell, Never so I'm not sure. But I think but it I- is. Okay. Well, everybody tries to assure him that, like, this is not his house. They just, you know, we just left your house. Um, And, you know, of course, they turn around, you know, to leave. And the absolute freakiest thing happens at this point when the group is mere feet away from a similar group. Two men, two women, hidden by shadow, who are also carrying glow sticks, but a different color, James. Guys, I could not look away at this point. That scene was heightened tension to the nth degree. That shit was freaky as hell. I remember when I saw them and it hit me, oh, they have different glow sticks and that's them. I was scared that they were going to attack them. And I think that's what they thought they thought too. Yeah, I was feeling some uh, us vibes. Very much so, yeah. That, it, like, I know this movie came out first, but watching it the whole time when it was talking about, like, the dual bodies or whatever, I was like, oh shit, this is like us. <laughs> it is. And yeah, you're you're right. Us came out much later, but that's all I could think about when I saw, you know, th- there was a scene where uh, in Us, the family is out on the, uh, like, the driveway. Yes. And they're all looking into the home. And this is just that same kind of standoff. But this time, you know, the, the crew that they ran into runs away. But the crew makes it back to the original house. And uh, something curious is mentioned uh, when, when they talk about an area darker than the rest of the street, like a, an area darker than the rest of the dark, I guess. Um, but Amir and Beardy say they went through it and they're fine. So I guess nothing's wrong, right? Who knows? I- but who has any idea 
how to wrap their heads around the quantum coherence and decoherence situation. Let me tell you, crackhead Bill. <laughs> you texted me about this and said, I've been watching this movie and they're talking about quantum physics. <laughs> I said, yeah, tell me more. So James, tell me more. The only thing I know about quantum physics is you don't fuck with it. <laughs> or you'll end up like, oh, what's his name in Quantum Leap? Oh, boy. Going through time, just trying to get back to your situation. And you got a hologram that carries a Game Boy. And trying to save everybody else's situation. Oh, man. You remember that movie, Bill? Quantum Leap? With old show? Scott Bakula? Oh, yeah. Quantum uh, Leap was a must-watch TV. It might have been the greatest show that also, was on TV at the time. Also, the quarterback from Necessary Roughness. Very good, James. Paul Blake. Hit him in the numbers. Paul Blake. <laughs> well, James, since... You um, definitely throw that pigskin, Bill. <laughs> since you uh, wanted not, to take a crack at... Uh, touch you, Mr. Blake. God damn it, James. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, since you uh, wanted to take a crack at quantum physics and not quantum coherence and decoherence, uh, Beardy brings it up. And he brings up these two terms as a state of two realities, either crossing paths or staying decoherent. So I'm no genius. Okay. I really am not. Even though I sound like one on a weekly basis. I th- Excuse me. Nothing. I on. think, I good. think they may be Didn't using these terms incorrectly. Leonardo DiCaprio touch on this in his movie deception. You got to keep a mouse in your pocket at all times. He might have, but I never saw him inception. A mouse. What? Deception. Are you talking about that mindfuck movie where it was a a dream within a dream within a dream? Inception. Inception. Correct. Insertion. I never saw Insertion, which was the... Continue. The X-rated knockoff. (laughs) But, like I said, I'm I'm no genius, but I think they use these terms incorrectly. I think it's coherence that keeps them separate and decoherence that causes them to cross. Because if something's coherent, that means it's... In working order, decoherent means that it's out of whack. I'm just thinking out loud, but, you know, this movie mind fucked me to the point where I didn't know what the meaning of the word the was. So, I could be wrong. Please, somebody correct me if if you must. Just watching this movie, and I don't know if you guys watched Community, but they talk a lot about, like, timelines and stuff. And at one point they discuss the darkest timeline. And with these people, like, moving in and out of the home, and they talk about when they walk to the other house or when they've kind of taken any sort of journey, that they pass through a place, in their words, much darker than anything else. Yeah. And as we go on, it seems that, because multiple characters leave the house, some multiple times. And some so none. Seems, yeah, some none. Um, so it seems that when they walk through, and this is Emily's, M's theory... That when they walk through this part that's darker than anything else, it's possible that they're going through, she says, like a, what does she say, like a roulette wheel where any version of them could come out the other side, like yeah. endless possibilities kind of thing. And it it laughingly reminded me of Community in the Darkest Timeline, but just watching all these people go through these changes and sometimes they come out and they act a little bit different or have different motivations than they had before. And the note thing really freaked me out. But watching these interactions and how they continue to ongo and what we learn is so freaky and so fun. 
Well, I mean, I, I think they do kind of get that theory down, though, of quantum coherence. Like, in the few minutes they talked about it, they start piecing together the fact that these two realities may exist, but aren't running parallel to one another. Like, or in other words, the same events may happen, but not all at once as well. So I missed something along the way. But which book were they talking about when they said that if if this girl is asleep, that means that they don't have the book yet, and Mike wants to go to the other house and steal it? What book is he talking about? I didn't really get that part. Somebody came back later with a green book, and they knew all about it, but I had I did not follow that, um, I guess, that timeline. Yeah, I didn't understand why when they got the book, I was like, what, when, you know, when they got that, I was like, what is the significance of, you know, and they never really explained that is what I mean. And I'm just wondering if James is going to sweep in and just blow all our minds and tell us exactly what this book was. <laughs> that book, Bill, was the book... Of mice and men. God, was it Gatsby? Maybe. See, James. If I knew you were just gonna tokens, if I knew you were just gonna make, if I knew you were just gonna make some shit up, I wouldn't have even asked. I probably still would. He wrote though. That's what I. Damn book, Bill. I didn't see no book in this movie. I remember some (laughs) damn glow sticks and somebody talking about quantum physics, and then. I don't know what the hell happened. And then you, much like Tommy Lee Jones at the end of No Country for Old Men, (laughs) you just woke up. (laughs) (laughs) I just woke up. (laughs) Well, Mike's got a crazy plan to blackmail himself. Thanks for coming. All right. And that alone sent me into a whole spiral of thoughts. Like, what kind of interaction would that be? Like, but has Mike gone literally, like, Mike was gone literally no time. Okay, he claims to have been gone for like 45 minutes. Uh, he was going to steal a, a steal the book by breaking a window, and then he was going to stick around to see the reaction, but he freaked and came back. What doesn't jive is that he believes he was gone 45 minutes, whereas he was told that he was, gonna, that he was gone 5 or 10 minutes tops. So there's a lot of things to unpack here. Mike's whole demeanor has changed. Like When he left, he was fidgety. When he came back, he was as cool as the other side of the pillow. So what do we make of Mike's situation? He's gone and he's come back and something's changed. So has he met the same, I don't want to call it a fate because it's not necessarily over for him. He's not dead, but has he done the same thing here? And like he left Mike number one and comes back as Mike number two. Seems like that's also possible because he's, he's kind of a jacked up guy, but yeah, Casey, you're right. He's on the juice bill. He, they're all on the juice. Okay. But you know, Casey, you're right. I mean, it's very possible that he left and went through the dark area because, I mean, I think you have to go through the dark area to uh, to get to that other house. So, I, in my mind, like, that's not the, the same Mike. But shit's getting super, you know, just uber fucked at this point as M goes to her car, puts on a ring that Kevin gifted her, which is, you know, her, I guess, new, I wouldn't say new, but uh, they're not married yet. She puts on a ring that Kevin gifted her at the fair. Nothing abnormal, right? Well, Kevin knocks on the window, and, like, they talk about the ring for a sec. But when M asks if everything was okay with Hugh's car, which Kevin was supposed to be checking on, like, Kevin gives her this long, blank stare. Like, I couldn't tell. Like, was it because he's been caught and it's not really the the Kevin that she knows? Or is it because he's also equally as confused? Because I don't think that there is, like, a bad version of any of these people. I think there's just a spectrum of different individuals here that when they pass through that, that dark area, that dark space, any one of them can emerge. 
So that long blank stare, almost as if he's frozen and she's talking to another Kevin. Eerie, creepy feeling. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe he was a different Kevin. I, I don't. At that point, I was just like, I don't know. I was like, I was thinking, you know, this is such a mind fuck. Everything's on the table right now. Everything is on the table. And Kevin had left the, the house, right? Yeah. Prior to then. Well, I mean, if he's outside there, he must have left. Who knows, you know, when he himself left, like our original Kevin. But, you know, we cut back to the house, and shortly after, the crew sees someone coming to the door, and they're losing their shit. But, hey, turns out to be Hugh and Amir. Yay, right? Except, no. Hugh and Amir are recounting the same story from before, when Hugh, you know, Beardy, bumps his head, sees the same setup at the other house, um... But they notice the bandage on Hugh's head is not the one that they used to, you know, to patch him up. In other words, the Hugh and Amir that were in this house after they initially came back, um, when Beardy, a.k.a. Hugh, was, wasn't answering anybody's questions, well, that was another Amir and Hugh. Am I right? I think so. I think every time they leave, they come back different, don't you? I think so. I mean, it, it has to be. And when, when Beardy came back and wasn't answering anybody's questions, it's because he was feeling the effects of walking into a new house and things like something is amiss. And not only that, they're saying that the letter, apparently there's a third Beardy uh, who left you know, was only one of many because first Beardy, who ended up being in house number two, because we just said that he left and a different one came back. He said he never got out with the other letter. So how many of these same people are out there walking around? It makes you wonder. Endless, right? Like an infinite number of of realities. Well, they do the math at one point and it's some insanely high number. And that's probably not even all the math. That was in the the neighborhood. Yeah, there were probably variables that that they counted that they knew for sure but there's probably a hundred other variables that like they absolutely don't know well we keep seeing more and more reactions of how the characters feel that things should happen like some of them are you know the ones that are just trying to stay put and not really make any kind of scuffle about it but then mike is fully ready to go kill other versions of himself oh yeah and blackmail himself and do anything else that needs to be done um Well, you know those boxes that are floating around, like with the random items? Well, you know, the original house had one the whole time, you know, hidden under a bunch of junk, I think they said. So now they need to mark this house somehow so they know which house is like the OG crib, right? Yep. Like, so you got to know which house is house number one, the one where I started. But when they try to match up the numbers from the backs of the original pictures, M figures out that the only people who haven't left the house... um. You know, they're, they're definitely the original people, but anyone who's left the house are visitors and not the original people we met at the beginning. Uh, that would be Beardy, Amir, uh, Mike, Kevin, um, can't remember who else, who else left. I think, uh, there were four of them originally, or maybe in total, but that means that Mike and Lee, who were like in this house are not a couple. Like we have a whole house full of people from multiple realities. Is, is everybody following this the, the right way? A- am I missing something? I think I've kind of got it down at this point. I hope so, because that's what I understood, too. (laughs) Well, shit gets all the way live when it's revealed that Beardy's wife had a past affair with Roswell Mike, uh, made evident by the blackmail letter uh, that some Mike in the universe left at the door. And moments later, one of the many, many Mikes busts through the door and he puts the work in on current Mike, or at least we think it's current Mike. It might be Mike number two. Who knows? Um... But, you know, this causes current M to leave the house alone. And what she sees brings all the worst fears to reality. You know, M peers into the windows of all the houses on the block. 
and she sees an alternate version of the dinner party in every window. Like some very nice, laughs and drinks, some very dark with the, the likes of Mike and Kevin tied to chairs with their, their mouths gagged. What do you think, what do you make of M's stroll through the neighborhood? I mean, I think she's seeing that, hey, there are all these alternate universes, realities, whatever you want to call it, and I'm not crazy, but then maybe she still is questioning that what she sees is real. Yeah, and it's not only the fact that it's crazy, but it's every house on the block. So not, we were thinking at the beginning that the house with the light was, you know, where, where it all ended. Like, our house is where it begins, the the house at the end, or where the lights is where it ends. But no, it's every house in between. Every house without light that that was out without light that night had an alternate reality going on. So, you know, maybe when when they go through the dark space, they're one of those, we'll we'll just say, 10, 15 homes. Like, there's a mic in every one of those. There's an M in every one of those. Maybe the number is limited. Gets even more wild when she breaks into one of the houses that's like calm and peaceful. Absolutely, and it's a really dark scene where you know she finds herself going through her car. Right, she finds herself going through her car, meaning that here she here's M, and she is seeing another M go through M's car. Like it's a repeat of the scene, uh, you know, where she's putting on the ring, you know that 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 Kevin gave her at the fair, but this time. M attacks herself. Um, I, I couldn't really tell what she did, but she basically, you know, knocked her unconscious. You know, so, so seemingly, seemingly, so our M, like, this is just what, what I got. Maybe this M could be re- reunited with the original Kevin. Because she doesn't see the Kevin that she knows back at the, you know, back at the house as her Kevin. Like, Kevin number one that she came to the party with. I think, maybe, I could be way off on that. Maybe she's just trying to find one that's, not so dysfunctional. Yeah, I think she's trying to find one where it feels more natural and less terrifying. Yeah, so maybe not the original Kevin, but one more like the original Kevin. Because I think she's trying to go back in time uh, to a time before Kevin really started behaving a certain way, maybe. I'm not sure. But that's not where this one ends. Like, she doesn't just go into that home and, you know, live happily ever after with Kevin. Like, the the attacked M crawls back into the house, spotted by only our M, who follows the injured M into the bathroom, beating her with a toilet tank cover. Well, she hits her with it. She doesn't beat her with it. Um, hits her once. But she hides her in the bathtub, you know, and then walks back to the living room and passes out, only to wake up the next morning... With everyone acting like nothing has happened, except for okay, one problem. Okay, but I, I understand something. When she hit her with the toilet thing and she passed out in the bathtub, why did she take that ring off her finger again? What is the significance of that? That's a good one. Um, I mean... I, I really don't know. Um, th- there's just so many variables in this algebraic equation that I, I, I guess it's that's a, that's a blind spot for me. I don't know exactly what that was doing. Anybody else got a, got a clue? No, not really. Well, she had something in mind, and it's not anything that I'm privy to. James, I know you know, just don't want to tell us. Spoils of war, Bill. Spoils of war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. But, you know, th- th- there is one problem. You know, she wakes up the next morning, and everything's all great. Um, you-, you got Beardy's lady getting out of the shower. Uh, you got somebody making breakfast. Everybody's hanging out. But outside with Kevin, he hands her the ring from the fair again. Well, she's already wearing one. So, you know, there's we've got a little bit more duplicity there. But when Kevin's phone rings, 
He says, it's you. And he answers. He turns his head to look at M, suspicious, and then roll credits. So maybe this thing isn't over with the comet. Maybe the comet left uh, a permanent mark, permanent change to these people's lives. It seems like it. Very freaky. Yeah. Guys, I don't know if this film is considered horror in your book. And uh, I guess horror is subjective. Um, but what did you, uh, what was your overall thought on Coherent? Rick? Uh, I mean, I was pretty surprised by it. I thought, you know, at the beginning it was, I was like, man, this is really slow. This isn't going to go anywhere. And then you're right, about that 17, 18, 18th minute mark, I was like, damn, okay. I'm actually really interested in this. Um, I mean, I, I would say it's probably more thriller, sci-fi, even drama in a way. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I thought it was, you know, but it was pretty good, honestly. Yeah, I think there are horror elements to this um, where I guess you wouldn't find it in the in the horror section of Blockbuster Video back in the day. But I guess being that horror is subjective, whatever you find horrific makes it horror. And I would, if being in this situation, I would find it pretty horrific. Casey, what say you on Coherent? I would watch this as a miniseries. I I was kind of surprised when it ended so quickly. And I, I think it was a good ending where it left off. But I could watch several more hours of this movie. Yeah, I'm with you on the, the miniseries uh, type of situation. Coherence was one of those movies where they could drag this out almost like a lost kind of a situation. Not really revealing too much into it, but man... I really thought this was a good movie, and I got this off of a website, and I cannot believe uh, I don't remember which website, but they named Coherence as um, one of the top 20 horror movies on Hulu, and I think it came in at like number 13. Very good list, uh, but I wanted to get this one because I didn't think anybody uh, out of our group had seen it, at least I hope not, but James, what's the final verdict on Coherence? Are you having trouble sleeping at night, Bill? Is it hard for you to go to sleep at night? Yes, it is, James. Let me just put this here movie on right here, and you'll drift off to Lullaby Land in no time. <laughs> While that is very fair, James, I will defend it in on the first watch. I'm sorry, I will defend your point on a first watch. Because when I watched the first time, I started getting a little bit, uh, because I don't know when this is going to pick up. You know, I, I don't know when, you know, the mind fuckery begins. So basically 15 minutes in, I'm like, man, nothing's happened yet. And it's only an 88 minute movie. Like, gosh, when is it going to pick up? But knowing when it picks up, I gave it all. I, I had a lot more patience for this movie. I know about as much as I did the first minute as I did the 88th minute. <laughs> <laughs> that is very fair, James. That is very fair. Well, guys, let's you put a bow on this one, though. Bewildered, watch Coherent. James, let's be very honest with our <laughs> listeners. You were confused and bewildered the moment you pressed play. When I got to text you and ask you how to spell this damn thing, <laughs> I know I was going to trouble <laughs> facts upon facts upon facts but guys that's going to do it for this episode the one thing we need to do before we go is we got to get slick rick to tell us what we are watching this week uh the movie i picked i was really thinking about it and uh this is a sequel um not a second sequel but a third movie 
uh, sequel to an original film that was considered one of the scariest at the times when it came out. Uh, we are doing none other than one of my favorite sequels ever, The Exorcist 3. You magnificent bastard. And this is on pretty much, dude, it's on everything. It's on Pluto TV, Peacock, Tubi, Voodoo, Crackle, Amazon Prime Video. So you plenty of places to watch. Now I have a question. Do I can't our, watch this movie, Bill. Too scared. Um, do our viewers, nope, listeners, we are a podcast, um, have to have seen The Exorcist Parts 1 and 2? Uh, no, not okay. actually, not necessarily. No, cool. I've never seen this one, so wasn't sure. Very good pick, Rick. I also have not seen The Exorcist 3. I don't and like watching got, stuff like this, Bill. George C. Scott in it, who is the man, so and and Brad Brad Dorif, so uh, yeah. I love Brad Dorif. It's yeah, I'm I'm excited. James, is it the same guy that does Dorf does golf? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know, but it was directed by the original guy that did the original Exorcist as well. No, it is definitely not the guy who does Dorf on golf, James. (laughs) God damn it, why? That's Tim Robbins, you filthy bastard. Oh, man. Guys, okay. We're going to watch watch Exorcist 3. James, you can come over and watch it with me. Oh, and I'm not going to give anything away, but there's one scene that's really ah, you, you Think about it, Rick. There's think one about scene that's it. scary, and I want you all to tell me when we have our episode next week if you thought the scene was scary or not. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this thing up before Rick runs and spoils something for people who have not seen The Exorcist 3. So, for Final Girl Casey, for The Godfather of Droll James, for The Memphis Menace Rick, I am Billy Graves. This was the Slashers of Screamers podcast, and we will catch you in the game.